Today I've titled uh, the message, Are You Ready? Uh, we're continuing on in our series in Matthew. We're in Matthew 24, 32 to 51. And uh, I've chosen a picture of a race, and it'll become more evident uh, as we go along why I've chosen uh, to do that. It's sort of a race. We do have often the person leading the race will tell us, ready, set, go. Um, and so the question I have this morning is, are you ready? Um, Brian started us off last week. Uh, we're in, I guess, divided up the Olivet Discourse into three, I believe it is, in terms of when we're four. Thanks, John. I think you're, you got part four, don't you? Yes. <laughs> so we've done, we split it up into four. So this is part two in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, and Brian looked, uh, last week, we looked at a bunch of the signs, uh, the signs of uh, the coming of our Lord and uh, the signs of the times. And uh, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on those again today. Uh, and basically our, our passage um, this week, though, last week we looked at the signs, the what, I guess. And this week we're going to look at the how to apply those to our lives here on earth. You know, we, it's nice that we have the signs set out for us, you know, from an educational point of view, we kind of say, oh, that's neat, you know, and we can go through prophecy, but, you know, what value is, what value is it to us here aside from, you know, being able to put verses together and put together some eschatology, oh, that's a big word, uh, some teachings, some doctrines on, on prophecy. Um, so today we're looking at the how, and the how really today falls its, uh, finds its way in verses 42 to 44. So when we read through the passage, you can take note of where 42 to 44 comes. That's really the center of uh, today's thoughts. And the words in there are, keep watch and be ready. Uh, well, as we go through it again, I'll just invite you to look at how the passage is broken up. It's broken up into three We'll first look at a lesson from the fig tree. And the fig tree in that lesson teaches us to be ready. Um, then we're going to look at a lesson from the life of Noah. And, spoiler, be ready is what we learn from the life of Noah. And last, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus provides of these two servants. Uh, two servants. And again, the lesson from that is anybody want to guess? Be ready. So there you go, you've, you've, you've picked it up, so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Let's flip together to uh, Matthew uh, 24, and we will read from verses 32 through to 51. So let's read it together. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Actually, I'm going to put it up on the screen. There you go. Well, that's small. Read it in your Bibles. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near. At the doors, or some translations say at the very gates. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation by, will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as, the days of, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore. Here's a, this is the central passage, so I'll highlight it for you again. 42 through 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful servant and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink, to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's just uh, pray for the Lord's uh, blessing on the reading of his word and as we go through it together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us that we are able to learn from it and apply uh, the truths from it. And we just pray that uh, this morning as we do so that uh, it would uh, impact our hearts, impact our lives, and that we would be, uh, that we would be ready for you and for your return uh, when that will be. And so we pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. So, a lesson from the fig tree. So, Jesus starts off here saying, from the fig tree, learn this lesson. And it says, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Um, you know, this is quite timely to be preaching on this message. Uh, we're first week of April, and we can kind of all feel, oh, summer is near. Um, whether the, whatever the signs are, the birds, you know, we've seen robins. Yesterday we saw a heron uh, landing in a watery ditch, and we said, oh, there you go. That's a, that's a migratory bird. That's a sign that spring is coming, that summer is coming. Uh, the tulips are going to be popping up soon. We're going to have the tulip festival. I think that's in early May, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but the tulips come up. Um, we start seeing the grass come back, usually on the medians first between the the, the roads and the divided highways, we start seeing the, the shoulders get snow melting away from it. And we know summer is coming. Uh, crocuses popping up, uh, the river might flood, or we might hear some blasting down on the Rideau if you're down in that area as they're trying to clear the ice, another sign of spring. Uh, or maybe uh, the maple syrup, and you go and visit a maple farm. Uh, we're well familiar with uh, the signs of spring. And here Jesus is telling us 
take a look at the signs. Summer is near. So some of the signs of the time Brian touched on last week, I'll cover a few of them here. Uh, here's one of them. Uh, in, earlier in the chapter, we read, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. I've posted there about 100 years of history here on Earth and some of the major conflicts that, uh, have, uh, that have occurred in that, uh, in that time span. And, you know, it's kind of sad, actually. You can zoom in and out, and it just keeps filling itself in. You know, there's not too many gaps in there. Um, there are wars and rumors of wars, and I think we can, we can look at it. Um, we, you know, even this past year, we can kind of all see the tensions, I think, increasing um, with uh, the war in Ukraine, and it's kind of all on edge. Um, and that's a, that's a sign of the time. Uh, it's a sign that these things will happen. But the end is still to come. So we're, we're comforted. We know that these things are happening, but the end is yet to come. You know? And I think one of the things about these wars is that what we're seeing, if you zoom in or zoom out, sorry, you see a lot of conflicts, but those conflicts were very were localized. And I think one of the benefits of our connected world is that we're connected, but one of the drawbacks is that when there's wars and conflicts, um, we're overly connected such that it involves the whole world on a global scale, and we're seeing a lot more conflicts uh, that are on a global scale. I don't know if any of you follow the, uh, the Doomsday Clock. It's not necessarily the most pleasant website to follow. Um, it's an organization that sets a clock based on where the world is on a global scale by giving minutes to midnight uh, in terms of global catastrophes. Um, you know, and, and even that organization recognizes the fact that we're on a path that is not a great path. And, you know, it's set currently at 90 seconds to midnight is where that doomsday clock is set, um, which tells you something about the state of our world. And uh, so that's uh, one of the times, or one of the signs of the times. You know, and it, we keep reading Matthew 7, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. I've put a couple graphs there about uh, earthquakes uh, dating back to, that's also over the last, just over the last 15 or so years on the, or maybe 20. It goes back to the 90s. That's actually more than 20. For some reason, I keep thinking the 90s was only a few years away, <laughs> a few years ago. Um, but there you go. So uh, lots, of, lots of earthquakes and we can see them and they're in the news. We can think about Turkey and just a few weeks ago and the, the devastating earthquake that occurred there. Um, again, the earthquakes are happening. We tend to be spreading ourselves out all over the world, so it makes sense that we're starting to have the impact of earthquakes really impacting every single time. And they're not just happening in desolate areas because we're living in those areas as, as humans. And famines, the number of famines that have been in the world. Uh, Luke talks about... Uh, says it a little bit differently and says, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. And the idea of uh, pestilences, and we could think just recently, well, there's a list of pestilences. This is not a really uh, encouraging message so far, is it? We're talking <laughs> lots of doom and gloom. We'll get past this in a, in a hurry. But here's a list of all the various uh, pestilences or plagues that have um, hit in the terms of uh, the top, I think it's the top 15 up on that screen. Um, 
And we know we've had COVID-19 just recently as an example of pestilence. Uh, and again, we're told that these are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Um, Brian reminded us last year about the, the thing about birth pangs and contractions, and they get closer and closer together. And, you know, are, are we seeing them come closer and closer together? I think we are. Um, but yet you could also stand here or come to me after and you'd say, well, uh, these, some of these signs, they've been around for quite some time, actually. There was wars right after Jesus left. There were wars. Um, you know, there was plagues. There was earthquakes. So there were pestilences. You know, I've got the Black Plague on there somewhere up there. And, you know, that's a couple centuries ago and uh, a few other ones, you know. And so there's, and you could say, well, aren't, aren't the signs... Haven't the signs been there for a while? And I think that the answer there is yes, and that's kind of the point. That the Lord was pointing out that these are the things that we are to expect before he returns. And the fact that we're seeing these things at various points in history points to us the fact that he could return at any time. I think he could have, he could have, returned, he could have returned a thousand years. The signs were there. He could return tomorrow. The signs are there. Um, what does it say about our world? I think it shows that Jesus understood that our world, despite what people say, that, we, that we're, you know, we're improving ourselves in society, the world is a world with sin in it. It is a broken world. Um, Romans 5.12 tells us that sin entered the world by one man, and so death passed upon all men. There's the, um, the concept here that Sin has entered the world. It is a broken world. You know, people often point and say, well, you know, why doesn't God step in and do something? Well, I would argue that 2,000 years ago, God did step in and do something. Um, he sent his son and to save us uh, from our sins. Um, Romans 6.23 says, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, that is God's gift. We live in a broken world uh, it's not that we have a God that's broken, it's the world that is broken. Um, and Jesus said, there's, these things are going to happen. We're going to, we live in a sinful world. The world is broken. And, but when Jesus comes, that's when everything that is broken will be made right. I think part of what... Um, Part of the reason behind why God might let us keep going in this path for whatever time he allows us uh, is the concept of grace. Uh, Luke 15.10, actually I'll flip there because I only wrote the reference down. Uh, Luke 15.10 tells us, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents and I truly believe that the reason why Jesus hasn't come back, the only thing that is holding Jesus back is grace, is the desire for sinners to come to a saving knowledge of him. Uh, all the other signs are there. So to me, the only reason is that we still have a reason to be here, and that is spreading the gospel and seeing people saved. Um, you know, it, it would be pretty neat if somebody here even this morning 
would hear the gospel and be saved. And that was the last one. You know, that, that's who God was waiting for. That would be pretty neat, you know, to kind of walk in. Maybe a little scary. You kind of just jumped in by the skin of your teeth. But uh, that would be quite amazing. And I do think that God is waiting, waiting for those. And that's, we see these signs, and the signs will continue until every sinner who is being called repents. Um, just the concept of, are you ready? So if, if you are here this morning and you are not saved, are you ready for the return? Because that return could be at any time, as I've already said. Could be now, could be next week, could be even outside of my lifetime. I don't know, but the signs are all there, and we have no guarantees. Uh, in fact, we were reminded of that. There was a funeral, as we all know, this past Friday, in which that was specifically said during the, during the funeral uh, for Nathan Libby, um, in which it was said there are no guarantees of any additional time. We don't know why God gives different lifespans to different people. And, it, and really the point here is, are we ready to meet our Savior? Are we ready to pass into eternity? Whether Jesus comes today, whether... We live our full lives, whether our lives are cut short. Uh, are you ready? So just as we kind of wrap up the first part about the fig tree and the signs, that's really the first question that the fig tree, it's the same question at all three sections, but the question the fig tree asks of us is, are you ready? Be ready. Recognize the signs. And even if Jesus was to tarry a while, we must nonetheless be ready. Um, in Luke 21, 25, and 28, uh, we read, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and per perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And one thing we do know, every moment that we're here, our redemption draws near. Um, when I think about the signs, the, the signs in the sun, moon, and stars, you know, I think about the wise men following the, the star uh, to Jesus. You know, and the rest of the nation was completely oblivious. They had missed the signs. You know, it had been 400 years, and Jesus, Jesus or the Messiah hadn't come. Um, may, you know, maybe he's not coming. And they weren't looking for the signs. There were people that were looking for the signs. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so the, just the idea that we are to be looking and looking eagerly for the return of our Lord. Everything is set. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming soon. Come any time. So be ready. And the only thing holding him back, I believe, is grace. I can also think a bit about those people that would have said, you know, it's been 400 years since we've had anything, you know, any prophets really and stuff like that. Where's our Messiah? Um, and it could be easy for us to find ourselves uh, saying the same thing, you know, where's Jesus? Why hasn't he come back? Um, I find... Uh, assurance in verse 35 where he says where Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away there is an assurance there there's a guarantee 
Um, Jesus says, in case you're starting to doubt, in case you wonder, my words are forever. And in my time, at the right time, I'm going to carry this out. We're going to move on to the second part of the passage where we read, as it was in the days of Noah. Matthew 24, 36 through 39 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days, those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So we're told here that no one knows. Um, I find it interesting that uh, the passage lists a few things here. It doesn't just say no one knows, but uh, Jesus includes himself here in this. I believe that in this context that um, I think currently in heaven that he knows, but while here on earth that he, it was veiled from him as to when his return would be. He, the disciples were asking for a sign. When would it be? Tell me when. And he says, look, I'm going to give you the signs. I'll point to it. You know, you guys just trust and follow me. Follow those signs. Be ready. I'm coming back. Just be ready. That's their responsibility. And like, likewise, that's our responsibility. Be ready. Uh, it's mentioned here that not even the angels... Uh, no. And uh, I'll take a little bit of liberty, and I'm going to add to angels, I'm going to add Lucifer, the Satan, to that passage as well. And I will say that certainly if the angels do not know, uh, Satan uh, doesn't know either. And I, I find that very interesting. I heard a preacher once say that since Satan doesn't know, then an antichrist needs to be um, prepared, I guess, in almost every generation because Satan would need that person in the wings, um, which I think in a way points into our history. We can see some people and we go, man, that person really displayed antichrist characteristics. Or we can look to some people even in our present day and age and go, hmm, I wonder if Jesus was to return, would that person be? I, I don't want to speculate too much. Um, you know, but we do read in 1 John 2.18, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And so we can, uh, we can look at our world and we can see that our culture, our leaders, for the most part, are not pro-Christ. Um, they are Antichrist, uh, little a, Antichrist. Um, and, um, and yeah, so even the angels don't know. Satan doesn't know. And I think even more pointedly to ourselves, no one knows. Um, you know, I, I, there's been a lot of people over time that have tried to, um, you know, go through, piece things together, do a little math perhaps, or piece up this to this date. Um, no one knows. And it's, it's kind of sad to see some of these people following uh, some of these teachers and you know, they sell everything, and they go up on a mountain, they wait, and the date goes past, and the guy says, oh, I forgot to carry the Y or whatever, and he's like, wait, actually, it's going to be next year. Um, you know, those, I, I, for, for me, I look at that, the fact that no one knows, and the question that I would ask is, 
Would knowing the date change how you're living today? And I guess if the answer is yes, perhaps that's a searching in our own souls, in our own selves, to say, well, then I, I need to change how I'm living. Um, and I'm not saying that it would, you know, for sure if I knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, maybe I'd sell up, maybe that's the point, maybe I should sell all, all that I have and give it all away. Um, but that's, that's not the point here. I think the point is, is that we need to be living uh, in readiness um, of of, of Christ's return, and we're going to speak a little bit about that in a, in a minute as to what it means uh, to be ready. Um, so that's, that's the first part, no one knows. And then we read the sentence, as it was in the days of Noah. Um, so what was it like in the days of Noah? Well, there's a few things. Um, actually, before I get to those things about how it was in the days of Noah, I want to think just a little bit about grace once again. We talked about the, the fact that we are living in a time of grace. We're living in a period of grace uh, where the Lord could come any time, and I truly believe that the only thing holding back judgment on this world is grace. Um, you look at Noah. Uh, Noah was 600 years old at the time of the flood. Um, you know, it took him a good while uh, for, the, uh, for him to build it all, and all this time we read uh, in Peter, and we're going to read that shortly, that Noah was preaching. Um, Noah was testifying to what was coming, to, God, uh, to God's judgment. Um, one of the things I find most striking is actually not in the character of Noah, but in the character of Methuselah. Uh, if you do a little math, uh, if you look at the genealogies in the, in the book of Genesis, and it gives you all these different ages, Methuselah was 369 years old when his grandson Noah was born. And then it gives you um, a few more verses telling you how old he then lived. And you do the math, and you, it adds um, the balance of those years. He, he lives to be um, 969. He was 369 years old when Noah was born. And at the age of 600 was when the flood came in Noah's life, which means that Methuselah died the year of the flood. Did he die in the flood or did he die in the year of the flood? I don't know. But it's, I find it interesting that the oldest man ever recorded uh, died before a judgment came on this earth. Um, Methuselah's name means his death shall bring forth, quite ironically. Uh, that's what his name means, um, if you were to look at the definition. And I think that really it shows, again, the testament to God's grace, that God waited patiently, and he waited, and he waited, and let this man, Methuselah, who was, his death shall bring forth, to live and live and live, and finally, judgment came. And I think it really speaks to God's grace in, in today's age, that we can see the signs and we can be desperate for Jesus' return. And yet God is waiting and waiting and waiting. There is that period of grace. In fact, 1 Peter 3.20 tells us so much. It says, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And just the idea here that God waited patiently in the days of Noah. It wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't careless, it wasn't, all right, that's it, I'm wiping them out. There was a patience to it. And again, I just use this time to appeal to anybody here who may not know the Lord Jesus as Savior, that God is patient. But eventually, we know that his word will not pass away. And so we know that judgment will eventually come. So, just uh, another invitation to respond during this time of grace, during this time of God's patience. How was it in the days of Noah? Well, we can read in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man, sorry, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Um, they were corrupt. Genesis 6, 11 through 12 says, now the, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Um, that passage might as well be read uh, describing, describing our time. Uh, in fact, we can read 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, uh, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good, lo lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. And we can see that our time here on earth um, matches quite well with the time of Noah. Again, we can think of the scoffers that would have uh, come up to Noah as he's building this giant ark nowhere near water. Um, and we can read about scoffers uh, in the New Testament. Second Peter 3, 3 and 4 says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And again, just the idea of scoffers. And I think we're... We definitely run into scoffers, I think, quite frequently uh, in our own lives. Perhaps um, us ourselves have been guilty of being scoffers. Where is this coming? Again, I go back to verse 35. My words will by no means pass away. His coming is coming. Uh, it is sure. Um, and uh, will we be ready? Again, in the days of Noah, apathy, Hebrews 11:7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Just the, the world itself, there's only eight that passed into the ark, an idea of apathy. 2 Peter 2.5 also says, he did, not share, he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And so we have this passage here saying, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be. And I think we don't have to look very far to see that we are living in times that are very similar uh, to those of Noah. But what lesson can we learn from Noah? Noah was ready. Um, I love 2 Peter 2.5 that says, it describes Noah here as a herald 
of righteousness. And I think that's the lesson that I want from this passage to take away when it comes to readiness. Are we heralds of righteousness? Um, we talked about people predicting and selling everything and moving off and living on a mountain, you know, and saying, all right, this is when Jesus is coming. Well, that's, that is not the point of when Jesus is coming. He's not telling us to calculate it so that we can check out and make our way out of here. Um, we are to be like Noah, heralds of righteousness. Our responsibility is still the responsibility that Jesus left with his disciples when he, when he left our world um, and one that he expects us to carry out, which is the Great Commission until his return. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We are to share the gospel. We are to be heralds of righteousness. And so to be ready for the return of the Lord means to be heralds of righteousness, to be proclaimers of the gospel, to be carrying out our great commission, as it was in the days of Noah. And now we get to our central verses, where we are told to stay awake, as some versions say, or keep watch, be ready. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Verse 34, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. I've put up First Thessalonians, which has very uh, much a parallel passage. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Just the idea of being ready. What does it mean to be ready? We've already talked a little bit about being ready in terms of spreading the gospel. Um, we can look at being ready. Um, you know, I can say, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for spring to come. You know, and I think we could all sit here and kind of agree, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. Well, there's a difference between I'm ready for spring to come and I've bought seeds, I've actually planted them, they're starting to sprout, I am ready for spring to come. As soon as the ground's thawed out, I'm planting these in my garden. I am ready for spring to come. So there's kind of an intellectual readiness. I'm ready. Or I've bought the seeds. And the same thing could be said for the return of Christ. You know, we can sit here and say, man, I'm so ready for Jesus to come back. Just come on. I'm ready. I'm checking out. I'm, just, just take me now. Um, I'm ready. Enough is enough. Take me home. Um, I'm ready for Jesus' return. I don't think that's necessarily a wrong statement, but it's not a fully full statement. I think the readiness that we are being called to is that like the person who's bought the seeds and is ready for spring, living in anticipation, um, actually taking the action. And if we turn back into the passage, verse 40 talks about uh, two men are in a field. One's taken and the other's left. And then there's two uh, women at the mill, and one is taken and one is left. We don't have this man and this woman who are taken. They're not just sitting there waiting and just waiting to be taken. They're working. They're doing things. They are shoulder to shoulder with this other man and this other woman. And I think that's a lesson for us. You know, as a church, as believers, we're not to just simply bury our heads and be like, Come, Lord Jesus, come. I just want to get out of here. No, we still have a duty to do. As long as we are here on the earth, as long as the Lord grants us breath, as long as he has not returned, 
we have work to do. And we are to keep preaching the gospel, and we are to keep living godly examples in an ungodly world. We are to be ready. Um, and that readiness is not just a state of mind, but it is a state of being. It's actions. Uh, whoops, jumped a little fast. Then the idea of keeping watch. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us to keep watch because your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We are told to keep watch. And yes, we're keeping watch for our Savior, but we're also keeping watch. Um, the idea of keeping watch is to remain vigilant. It's not just the idea of watching for him, but there's a vigilance that comes waiting for our Savior. We live in a state of keeping watch. We keep watch because there's something for us to do. I think about the disciples, Matthew 26, we'll get there in a few weeks. Uh, the disciples who couldn't watch uh, for an hour. And I think about that when I'm looking at what does watch mean here? And they were not alert. Um, you know, they'd become a little complacent. They're all of a sudden there's a crowd of soldiers. You know, they, they, ha they were not keeping watch. Even They couldn't keep watch for an hour. And I think the lesson to us here is for us to remain alert, to not become complacent, to not become one of those scoffers that says he hasn't returned, where is he? Um, to not become complacent, uh, but really to be awake, um, to be attentive. What does the master need? That's what Jesus was asking of his disciples. Keep watch, you know, uh, and what to be there for when he needed them to be there. What does the master need? Be awake, be alert, not complacent. Um, and just also thinking about keeping watch, uh, Psalm 130 uh, was shared a few weeks ago, maybe about a month or two, in the Lord's Supper. Uh, Psalm 130 just uh, kind of st stuck with me because I, I liked how it, was, how it said, but it was Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. And just the idea of a watchman in the dark of the night, just watching for that first glimpse of the sun to come over the horizon, the watchman waiting, and just eager more than those who watch for the morning. And I think the idea here is that we're told to watch also in eager anticipation, in an excited in an excited way to be looking forward. 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, uh, we read, we read, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Are we living in an eager anticipation of his appearing? Are we watching? Not just watching because we're ready to check out, not just watching because I'm tired of living in this sinful world, but watching in eager anticipation, um, alert, vigilant, and carrying out uh, our duties. Is that how we are living our lives in eager anticipation? Kind of at the start, I said I'd put up a slide with this was my opening title, just that of the race. Ready, set, go. And really, I think that when we ask the question, 
you know, are we ready or be ready? It's that idea. It's not just, not to, not to beat a dead horse, but as I've already said, but we are to be actively ready. It's not just a state of mind. These racers are ready. And then they're set, whatever that means. I think they just move slightly. But then they go. You can tell I'm not a racer. But they go. And really, that's the calling to us, is ready, but go. Be ready, but that ready has a go command behind it. It's had it ever since the Lord left us, and it'll be present until he returns. And lastly, we, we wrap up with a parable. And really, the parable is kind of a story retelling of everything that we've gone over. So I won't go into, into it in detail. Uh, but we see a servant who is living in eager anticipation, who is actually doing. He's not just ready. Oh, I'm really hoping that my master comes back someday. I, you know, it's kind of getting a little rough around here. And No, he, he was ready for the master to come back. Uh, he was living for it. And then we have another one who said, my master's delayed and just beats his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. Uh, he's just doing whatever. He's not living his life in reflecting um, the return of his master. And I kind of look at the two, and I, I, I see some, just a few differences. One being faithful and the other faithless. One was ready, one was unprepared. One was fruitful, and we can, next week, or I guess in two weeks, we'll look at the, the parable um, of the talents, and we'll talk a little bit more about fruitfulness, but one was fruitful, and one was fruitless. One was true, one was hypocritical. One was rewarded, and one was punished. And really, I guess the, the exhortation here this morning um, is, does, are we living our lives reflecting Jesus' eminent return? Is it one in which we are living fully for his return? And that's the question that I would ask. What are we doing? What are we doing now to get ready? Just to kind of sum up the passage, we have the signs. The signs point us Jesus is coming. We're now in a time of grace, but the time of grace won't last forever. And the question is, Will you be ready? If not, be ready. If you are not ready, be ready. And for those of us who are saved, we are watching. Are we living our lives in a state of watchfulness, a state that is active, doing, fruitful, faithful? Um, is that, does that reflect our lives? Are we, like Noah, heralds of the gospel? And I'll leave that with, uh, with you all to consider this morning. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. We look forward to your return. We look at this world and we see it's broken. And we, we yearn for it to be made whole, for you to return to make things right. But in the meantime, we pray that we would be faithful stewards, faithful servants, that we would live our lives uh, in anticipation of you in how we live our lives around those around us. We just pray now that you would part us 
with your blessing as we go back out into the world. And may we look forward to your return in your time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.